for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion. Read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 17 is dedicated to the people of China who are locked into a struggle for freedom. To the protesters who are not only risking their jobs, social credit scores, but their lives in order to break free of an oppressive communist regime and a hope for a better future for their families and children. Last time on A Better Utopia, Leslie informs the group that the travel plans have changed and they will be leaving Rutgersville at midnight on a train. He charges Uliam and Finnegan to go find Rodriguez, Lucas, and Preston at the Peppermint Pony. Balaam and Abigail surprise the staff at the Peppermint Pony and demand to see RJ, or also known as Pam, when he is enrobed. Balaam is helped by the staff of the Peppermint Pony to extract his revenge on the boys. The smell of peppermint pipe smoke greeted my nose as soon as I and Finnegan stepped through the glass revolving door. Small circle tables lined the floor that stood in front of a stage where at the right time of day burlesque dancers would perform in front of a drunken crowd. Above the stage, a giant mirror surrounded by two balconies that held card tables and roulette wheels. Most of the women working were cleaning tables or polishing silver in front of the large bar area that was to my right of the entrance. On my left was a small reception area that had a sign above it reading rooms and cash outs. An older woman with mocha complexion and dark hair and a tight bun greeted us warmly. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome to the Peppermint Pony. Are you looking for fun, companionship, rooms, or maybe a mix of all three? The gambling tables open up at three and our world famous show starts at six. I could book you a room, a girl, and get you a good amount of chips for a bundle rate if you'd like. I pulled my flat cap off my head. For some reason I felt the need to, but was unsure why. 
The woman seemed to carry herself in such a way that it just felt right, like I was obligated to. Oh, um, well, we're here just looking for some of our friends. Did anyone book a room under the name Rodriguez, Lucas, or Preston by chance? She opened up her books and ran her finger down the page. Hmm, I don't have anyone by that name, I'm sorry. Oh, but you could ask Shelly, she was bartending last night, and she may have seen your friends. She pointed to a woman with purple hair, up in a do, in a very tired expression that stood behind the bar polishing a glass and talking with the other women. Thank you, I nodded, in a sign of thanks, and began weaving my way through the tables and chairs with Finnegan in tow. The bar had shelves upon shelves of colored liquor bottles. In the middle, surrounded by the shelves, sat a large framed portrait of a woman in a white sheer dress that clung to her figure. Her hair was bright red like fire, but what really caught my attention was the red eyes that seemed to stare into me. It was inviting and off-putting, all at the same time. A slur of voices broke my gaze from the portrait. Did you hear? The new crop of girls are coming in? I heard they are as ugly as sin, and they'll probably be working them love rooms. Another voice, slightly less slurred than the first, came from the purple-haired bartender named Shelly. Probably a good thing that these girls we have now in the love rooms are falling apart. Yesterday I saw one with no nose, just two holes to breathe out of. That misery magic they use is strong, I tell you. I start to eat them alive, and I sure am glad another woman, slightly older than the first two, spoke in a loud, harsh whisper at them. Shut up, you two. We got customers approaching. Bloody hell, this early in the morning? Shelly attempted to whisper under her breath, but failed miserably. Shut it, the older woman again chastised the bartender. Hello, welcome to the Peppermint Pony. What can I get you two gentlemen? It is never too early for a pint of beer. Oh, we're fine, thanks. We're just here to talk to the bartender, Shelly. I pointed to the purple-haired woman. She made a slight face of disapproval at me, but it was quickly followed by a forced smile. What can I do for you two gentlemen? I am no longer in the business of providing company, but I would be happy to direct you to some very pretty woman who will be most excellent company. She slurred in an annoyed tone and a fake grin still plastered to her face. I approached the tired woman and tried to ignore the arrogance in her voice. Actually, we're looking for some friends of ours, and we were told you may have seen them. Uh, I see a lot of people, honey, and I doubt. I remember seeing your friends. She rolled her eyes. Shelly, at least humor them. The older woman bit at her. Remember what happened last time you sassed a customer? Shelly's face contorted into a look of disgust. They aren't even customers. They haven't bought a thing. I looked over to the woman who had been chastising Shelly. How much for a drink? The bar is closed, I heard Shelly spit out at me, but the older woman smiled. One copper grumble for a glass of water. Here's two, one for me and my friend. I looked back at Shelly and slapped the plastic money on the counter. Now, we're both paying customers. I'm looking for a Hispanic male about this tall. He's cocky and tends to have a big mouth on him. Goes by the name of Rodriguez, and he was with two other men. Have you seen them? Yeah, that description fits several people who were here last night, and I don't have to introduce myself to every Tom, Dick, or Harry. So if you'll excuse me, 
I'm going to finish closing the bar up so I can get some well-deserved rest. Shelly placed the glass mug underneath the bar top, turned, and stomped away. Wow, what a delightful woman she is, Finnegan said. Apparently, Rodriguez was starting to rub off on him. I faced the small voice that came from an even smaller girl. Her skin was dark, and her hair had tight curls that laid how they wanted on her head. Her eyes were a pretty dark honey color, and she hunched herself down as if her whole life she spent trying to be invisible. I was a little off taken by seeing a girl this young in a place like this. Uh, yes? Her small voice could barely be heard over the loud slurring of those cleaning the bar. I heard you were looking for your friends. I think I know where they are. I gave her a gentle smile. Oh, well, thank you. Can you tell me where I can find them? No, I can't tell you, she looked down at her feet. But I can show you if we can all be careful not to get caught. Okay, why do we have to be careful? I stepped closer and lowered my voice. I doubt the workers who were lost in conversation noticed or even cared, but the girl generally seemed scared to talk. They are down in the lower floors, where the illegal stuff happens, she whispered. I was taken back by this statement. Prostitution was illegal, but many towns, cities, and even state governments turned a blind eye to it as long as they got their cut. My mind wondered what things were hiding down there. Okay, are my friends in trouble? I don't know. She looked over at the bar and then at the reception desk. But everyone is distracted right now, so we have to go now. Tabitha led us to the back of the stage area next to the stairs that led up to the game floors. There, a small dark door presented itself behind a green velvet curtain. If I wasn't being led this way at first, I would have thought it was a broom closet entrance, yet it opened up to a giant hall. We walked down the hall and turned a corner where three wooden doors lined the left of the hall, and one door sat at the end of the hall, which had one gas lamp for the entire space. It caused the area to take on a dull orange light that reflected off the polished wood floors. Tabitha pushed her little legs hard forward towards the back door. As my eyes adjusted to the light, I spotted a long, rectangular table covered in small glass bottles filled with colored liquid that lined the right side of the hall near the back wooden door. The door itself seemed pretty normal except for the strange lock that had a peephole that sat just above the brass door knob. Tabitha placed a small dark hand on a glass vial with some blue liquid in it. Hopefully they haven't changed the combination, she said to herself. Finnegan and I watched as she poured on vial into another vial and into another vial, sometimes adding all the liquid into one, and other times just adding a simple drop. She reminded me of a chemist who was on a verge of discovery. After four or five vials, she held the brown-colored liquid to the light and stared at it. She gave it a quick smell, then walked over to the door and poured the vial into the small peephole. At first, nothing happened, and I could tell her anxiety grew every second as we stood and stared at the door. They must have was all she got out as the sound of metal clicks and pops began. She reached a hand to the brass knob and turned the door, and it clicked open and creeped as she pulled. She took a deep breath in. Okay, so stay close to me. As long as no one turns the machines on, we should be okay. Wait, what? Finnegan called out, but Tabitha was already through the door.
Need more audiobook entertainment? Want something to hold you over till the next episode of A Better Utopia? Maybe you're in a dreaded show hole or podcast hole. I don't know what you call it. Anyways, you just need something to fill that long drive time? Try Audible Plus. With Audible Plus, you gain access to a vast selection of audiobooks, Audible Originals, and podcasts. You can even listen to my show, A Better Utopia, on there. Get monthly credits to spend on premium titles. Or, if you like more and you want some more books right now, get 30% off premium books. Start your free 30-day trial now. Click on the link in the show's description. And when you do, not only do you get access to great content Audible has to offer, but you'll be helping the show as well. It was dark, and the stench of burnt plastic and rot had been covered up, or at least attempted to, by ammonia. The smell threatened to suffocate me, and my eyes were wandering. I did my best to take in shallow breaths, but my head still spun from the smell, and my nose burnt. Tabitha was not far ahead of us, holding a small oil lantern that gave off just enough light that you could see where your foot fell and not trip. From what I could see, the hall was no longer made of wood, but of a cold, hard concrete. Each step was followed by an echo which gave the area a hollow feeling. Finnegan, who was just in arm's reach, looked almost like a ghost. Mouth open and face pale, but I'm sure I looked similar. Something about this place made the hair on the back of my neck stand. Tabitha, where are we? I said. My voice sounded louder than I meant it to be. Tabitha pressed a finger to her lips. Shh! We can't wake them. If the machine is not on, no telling how they'll react to us. Who? I said, this time in a whisper that sounded still too loud. They call them the lovebirds. They bring in young women who are poor and ugly and use misery magic to make them look beautiful for customers. She whispered back, eyes still locked in the scan of a hall. I opened my stride to catch up to her. Okay, but they're just women. What do we need to be so cautious? And... Why are my friends down here? Tabitha adjusted her lamp, trying to get more light out of it, but it failed. Have you ever seen someone who's been on high levels of misery magic for long periods of time? It rots them, both inside and out. If the magic machine is not on, some of these women are as dangerous as feral dogs. Then why don't we churn on the thing so we are safe to pass? Finnegan asked. Tabitha looked back up Finnegan. The orange light lit up her face and made her appear older and wiser for some reason. Because then you would be putty in their hands. They would look just like your deepest desires. They would do just about anything you wanted and you would have a hard time resisting it. You wouldn't even remember why you're here. Now everyone must be quiet. They are sleeping and I would like to keep it that way. Just as she had finished her very words, the lights flickered on overhead and they produced an effect that made everything colorful and glow, but kept the room dark. The horrible smell that had once been overpowering and suffocating was gone and replaced by a beautiful scent of crushed roses, petals, and vanilla. The once cold and hard concrete hall now seemed warm and welcoming. It gave me a feeling that I had not had in years, 
a feeling I had almost forgotten, a feeling of home. I looked at Tabitha, but it was hard to focus on her. She was yelling now, but I couldn't hear what she was saying. My mind said to focus on her, but I had a hard time fighting the urge to explore this new and vast home. She frantically waved her arms around, and her words came out, but it seemed distant and foggy to my mind. A song broke out into the hall, a song of beauty that sounded of an angel's choir, and the words seemed to beckon my mind to embrace their meaning. At first I thought it was some foreign language, but as I listened closer, the meaning surfaced in my mind. The song now jumped out from the deep dark and into the glowing colors of the light that now filled the room and vibrated my bones. I have all, all that you need, all that you want, all for free. Come and drink freely, freely of me, the ghostly voices sang. They were both haunting and beautiful. Each note hit more pleasing than the last. Each sound left goosebumps upon my arm. Tabitha continued to speak more frantically. She jumped up and down. Her face turned red with yelling as she screamed and scrambled her arms. I knew I needed to focus on her, but I wanted to listen to the song so bad. And I fought the urge for a moment, knowing that whatever this was, it was trying to suck me in. But the song, it was so alluring and I wanted to hear more. I wanted to know what the words were. I wanted to know its source. Whatever need, whatever desire, I shall feed. The song bellowed even louder than before, each word sending a slight tickle down my spine. I wanted to lift my eyes away from the girl, who looked to be spazzing out in front of me, and search for the singers of the song. Yet some part of me knew I should not, but I couldn't remember why. Wasn't this the reason I was here? To meet the lovebirds? To feel at home finally? Don't I deserve to feel at home? I could feel my body begin to quiver and my heart race in my chest as my body begged, begged me to go and find the source of the music. I began to search for the source of the song with my eyes. I'm pretty sure I heard a young girl's voice yell no, but I really didn't care. Whatever she had to tell me was clearly unimportant, and I didn't want to be bothered with it, or be bothered with some little girl. All I wanted was to enjoy this. Everything felt so weightless, like all the cares of today were gone, and all there was to do was to spend time here, at home. I went to take a step towards the music, but I hesitated. I began to think, maybe there was danger here, but that too melted, and so did my hesitation. I began walking forward into a room, where the colors seemed to almost swirl and dance in the mystical light. The voices that were singing became just one voice inside the room, and the smell of perfume there became strong, but not in the sense that it was overpowering. Then something emerged from the corner that startled me out of my hypnosis, but only for a split second. Well, hello there, a smooth feminine voice said. The song had stopped, but there was still music playing that kept the tune. I turned and faced what was in the corner, and there it was. She was the perfect picture of pristine beauty. Her skin seemed to glow a beautiful saturated peach color. Her eyes glowed blue and it almost reminded me of the time Rebecca used her powers. In fact, she looked like a version of Rebecca, but without any flaw. 
This struck me as odd, as before I'd never noticed any flaws to Rebecca, but now they came forth in my mind when in comparison to this creature before me. Every curve was in the right place. Everything was in the size and dimension I wanted it to be, from head to toe. This thing standing before me drew me in with great desire as my body began to shake violently. Who are you? I said, but my voice all of a sudden felt dry and parched. I am whoever you want me to be. She smiled coyly. Where am I? Wherever you want to be, she said. All of a sudden, I felt my stomach tie into a knot. Am I in danger? I, I feel like maybe I don't, maybe I shouldn't be here. Do I look dangerous to you? The coy smile emphasized on her gorgeous, ruby red lips. Come, sit with me on the bed. She walked over to the bed, turned her back to reach down to where her silk robe had been tied, undid the knot, and let the robe fall off her body. Nothing was left to the imagination, and she truly was perfect. And then another odd thought struck me. Where did the bed come from? But this was quickly dismissed as she turned and smiled at me and sat on the bed. Are you going to just stand there, or will you come sit by me? I don't think I should, I said, which made my mouth even more dry and caused the violent shaking to intensify. Why not, she frowned. Because it feels wrong, and I'm trying to remember, but it's like, like I'd be betraying someone. I just, I can't remember their name right now. She lifted her eyebrows in a faint shock. Does it feel good? Or bad to look at me. Good, I, I guess. I, I felt like a small schoolboy. As I answered this, the shaking in my legs lessened a bit, but I still couldn't hold still. She smiled again. So if something feels good, then it must be good, right? I, I guess so. And how can you betray someone that you don't even know their name? She reached over to a small table that, I swear, was not there only seconds ago, poured two glasses of wine, and smiled, as if the wine glasses in the bottle had appeared as she poured it. My head began spinning and my throat ached. If I could just have a sip of that wine, just enough to wet my throat, just enough to get a little relief. I, I just can't remember their name right now, I blurted out. She laughed in the way that was alluring, like a joke that I wanted to be a part of. Well, I can keep a secret from the important no-name person. Come sit with me and drink. Surely there's no harm done by merely taking a drink with me. Surely you are thirsty. She lifted a glass of wine my way. It sparkled in the colorful light. I don't know. I, I probably should get back to whatever I was doing before. I tried to force my feet to move to the door behind me, but they were locked in place, and my knees were on the edge of buckling. She laughed again, but this laugh was odd and ugly, not like the one before. It almost unnerved me, but she then spoke. You are quite forgetful. Come sit with me and drink. We can figure this out, what you were doing before over a glass of wine. Surely there's no harm in just sitting by me, enjoying a glass of wine, and... A quick glance at my body. She made a pouty face and said, I promise to be a good girl. I I am thirsty. I guess you're right. There's, there's probably no harm in it. I, 
Like magic, my feet became unlocked, and my body still shook, but less as I started for the bed. But I'm not going to touch. Of course, no touching. We're just here to figure out what's going on, and for you to glance at me. E yeah. For some reason, I began unbuttoning the buttons on my shirt, almost as if on impulse, when the color lights instantly vanished and the smell of burnt plastic and rot returned to my nose as if it was a fist. My mind flooded with the memories of what I was doing here with Rebecca, and now I had a newfound guilt of what I was about to do here with this woman. Complete dark, the woman struck a match and lit a cigarette, and my eyes saw Ghoul where the once perfect woman sat. Her skin was gray and leathery and chapped. Fingers were bony and had long fingernails sprouting from the tips. Where the once blue eyes were, now just a dull gray with a milky film. Strands of hair that looked more like string hung down her face that held a grizzled look. Sorry, sweetheart. Guess playtime's over. The once silk-like voice was replaced with a gravelly croak. I just stood there, in shock, trying to figure out what the hell had just happened when I heard a yell from down the hall. She exhaled another cloud of smoke. Oh, Gwendolyn must have gotten a customer. Man, I hate to be <coughs> that person right now. Is what some call feral. <coughs> Her sentence was cut off abruptly with a coughing fit. Then my brain reconfigured and I knew who the source of the scream was. I quickly turned on my heels, exited through the door, trying to clear my mind of what just happened and focus on the fact that I was pretty sure that that was Finnegan and that was his scream. I ran hard down the hall. Concrete walls and doors were passing in a blur as my lungs began to burn with the fumes or whatever was in the air, but I had to push on. I did my best to listen for the source of the screaming in between labored breaths and I narrowed it down to the door at the end of the hall. As I slid to a stop, I was in shock of what I was seeing. To be a woman was in the corner with Finnegan. And this woman was more monstrous than the last. She had no eyes in her sockets, just red holes. Her skin was yellowish and stiff, and with every movement she caused cracks in her skin that would bleed. A shirtless Finnegan was using both arms on her shoulder to push her back away from him, but she continued to snap her teeth making a clicking sound each time. Finnegan eyed me frantically. Help! Get this thing off me! Move out of the way! A small, dark, complected girl pushed past me. Red-haired guy, hold your breath and close your eyes. Finnegan looked like he had just heard some sick joke. What? Just do it! Tha yelled back. Her small voice took on a boom-like quality that emphasized her command, not like how she had talked him before, small and tiny. Finnegan reluctantly complied, and the young girl threw a strange neon dust into the face of the ghoul. The ghoul spattered and choked, then fell to the ground and began to snore loudly. What was that? Finnegan panted. The lovebirds I was trying to warn you guys about. This one's the worst of the worst. Misery magic has rotted her completely, Tabitha explained. What did you throw at her? I asked. Tabitha lifted a small leather pouch. I don't know what it's called. It's one of Mr. J.R.'s concoctions. He uses it when the girls get out of control or go feral. We sat there for a moment, each one of us trying to catch their breath and process what had just happened. When Tabitha glared at Finnegan, picked up his shirt from off the ground, and threw it at him. Come on, let's go, she bit at us. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 17, 
Inside the Peppermint Pony. Tune in December 19th for our Christmas special. And there will be a piece of the story in it, so it's definitely worth a listen. Also, wait till the end credits scene. I'm going to be throwing in a little teaser for it. Check us out on our Facebook page, A Better Utopia, for news, updates, and to see the show art. Like the show, leave us a five-star review, and share with your friends. And now the teaser. Balaam could not believe his luck when he had stumbled upon the switch to the love rooms. He was quite curious to know what they were all about. He had heard rumors about them in college, but never attended such places. That kind of thing was beneath him. However, it was not beneath him to put those fools through it and to see what happens. The whole thing was quite comical. From waving and yelling of the stupid small child to the dumb dreamlike look of the men, Balaam enjoyed every minute of it while hiding in the dark of the shadows of the hall. He was worried when the lights came on that they might spot him, but they were too busy being led astray to notice him at the beginning of the hallway. It was all fun and games for him until she showed up. The woman from the door on the left. Ever since Abigail, the real Abigail, not Siren, Balaam had not given women much thought. Sure, he had noticed their attractiveness and even had a few one-night events with them during the riots, yet no one really grabbed a hold of him and made him feel like this woman did here now. She stood before him with long, fiery hair and red eyes that matched. Same disgusted look on her face she had had when she had saw him on the cliff. 